Hello and welcome to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast number 93. I'm your host, Brian. Joining me this evening is Mac. Good evening, everybody. Also joining me is Terry. Hi, everyone. Last and least is Ian. Hey. <laughs> How is least everybody? In what sense? <laughs> I'm not, so I don't ask anymore. <laughs> it's all opinion, and he's entitled to it. Right, but my opinions are correct. Uh-huh. Plus, if he's got math on this and, you know, possibly laser measurements, then we're probably going to have to go with it. There you go. Yeah, see? Okay, now, see, that would scare me a bit to find out that Brian was that obsessed with me. That would scare me, too. <laughs> <laughs> and to find out that he does watercolors. Um, <laughs> Excuse my me? My sister introduced me to this. You can look it up on YouTube. It's it's It's... It's old Greg, G-R-E-G-G, mm-hmm. and my God, it's twisted. It is twisted. <laughs> well, is it? It's not safe for work then. Well, let me put it this way: not safe for work. It's a mangina. Yes. <laughs> wow. Old Greg is a transsexual merman <laughs> with a mangina who does watercolors with a mangina that emits a blinding light. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it, it's twisted. Uh, beyond twisted. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so do does anybody have any announcements? You know, I went to the Secular Hub Flying Spaghetti Monster dinner Friday night. That was pretty fun. Was that this Friday? It was the 30th. Okay, that's okay. Yeah, nice people, nice crowd. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yep. I've been down there a couple times because I, I bought a membership, so I like to go on Sunday mornings. Oh, that's yeah, that sounds nice too. We just got a membership, and this is our first event. Cool. Yeah. All right, well, then uh, it's time for... Ian's masturbation moment. The Amateur Skeptics present Ian's Masturbation Moment, brought to you by the Dumbass Media Empire. The Dumbass Media Empire, bringing you content that touches people while they touch themselves. Okay, so this week's masturbation moment is uh, <laughs> doctors remove fork from penis of 70-year-old Australian man. <laughs> and there is a picture of the x-ray in case you really need to see. Um, <laughs> but basically, a 70-year-old man in Australia decided to get himself off by serving a fork up there. In his <laughs> urethra. I, I think... Wow. I could safely say I could go my entire life without needing to see an x-ray of that. Yeah. <laughs> How stretchy is the urethra? I didn't realize it was that stretchy. Well, I mean, a test fork is... I find out, and I don't plan to ever test mine to find out. You know, they, they sell, uh, at these sex shops, they sell, like, urethra spikes and stuff like that. That are, I mean, are fairly, fairly thin, um, but a fork. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so what kind of fork? We talking uh, table, salad, fish... Uh, it looks like a fairly regular fork. I, I, it doesn't describe it, but if you look at the X-rays, you can kind of make it out, and it definitely. I can't. Has... I can't count the number of tines. I don't know. Oh, maybe there's another image. It's on its side, so you can't see the fo- um, actual forks, but you can see that the um, handle part of it looks pretty thick. Well, yeah, and it uh, flares. It looks like it flares and then gets skinnier. So he, yeah. I mean, uh, wow, that took a lot of. I mean, that. Wow. <laughs> 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 I didn't first. That would have been. 
Yeah, handle side in was yeah. probably a good plan. Me, the, yeah. I'm thinking dessert fork <laughs> would, could be for entertainment. Oh, uh, fish four, fork is a cry for help. It's a four tine, whatever that is. It's got four tines. It looks, yeah, I don't know. The handle's for a person to hold, though. It's it's large. Yeah, but, uh, you know, the, you hear about stuff getting, you know, doctors taking stuff out of the anus and women's vaginas and stuff, but... Right. Uh, to actually get something up your urethra that far, I'm like, okay, guy, you are definitely going places I don't even want to try. Uh, one of those places should be the Hall of Fame for something or other. Well, you know, Bad Ideas Hall of Fame is a, probably a good good thought. Well, have, have you guys hey. seen the Scrubs episode where, where they actually like talk about this and you know the doctors are going oh, yeah. in and the excuses? You know, I yeah, slipped, the, uh, I fell. And I fell fly, on the fork. Exactly, I fell. The last guy goes, I was bored. Yeah, that's yep. being pulled on the anus, which yeah, that whole right. I think is a little there more were, flexible. <laughs> there were actually a couple of episodes. One of them was the one where the guy had the light bulb up his up his up, up his rectum, and they're looking at the x-ray, and I think Cox says, well, he looks like his colon has a really good idea. <laughs> uh, yeah, Can so, I read the, what I think is the money shot from the article? Yeah, please. Um, please for do. Auto, <laughs> autoerotic stimulation with the aid of self-inserted urethral foreign bodies has been existent since time immemorial and have presented an unusual but known presentation to urologists. <laughs> so I guess they see this fairly frequently. <laughs> Well, I mean, heck, there there are I mean, there's different ways to do this than a fork. I mean, if if you're going to do it, by all means do it, but I mean, let do something that doesn't flare at the end. Well, they list like toothbrushes, yeah, uh, thermometers. Yeah, yeah no, those are awful. Well, you yeah. know. It's, <laughs> at times we're definitely a fucked up species and do some pretty disturbing things, but you know, you you'd think that if somebody really wants something inserted there, just go swimming in Candiru model waters. Yeah, but, but wait a second. This is one of those where, you know, maybe they're, we're missing out. Maybe the, maybe <laughs> there's some stimulation there that we're doing. I, I tell you what. <laughs> we will let you find out. If, if you want to experiment, go for it. I'm not willing to. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Many patients try to remove items that become stuck because of embarrassment. Their own yes. attempts to extract the objects often will result in further in- injuries. You think? Oh, that's very sad. Yeah. So I've been looking at bike porn. Yeah, what is what, 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 bike porn, huh? Yeah, so um, I stumbled on this website that's just, it's so awesome because it's kind of an unintentional ethnography, which is like an anthropological account of, of the um, stratification of a society and the technologies and the culture and the rules and all this kind of stuff. And uh, But it's about cycling. It's about road biking. And it's just like, if you like bikes at all, it's awesome to go look at. It's called Velominati. And uh, there's a link. There's going to be a link on the on the page. But um, yeah, they have 92 rules for cycling, like how you're supposed to put your pedals and stems if you're going to photograph your bike and how you're supposed to <laughs> position okay. yourself. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of there. It's kind. It's partly tongue in cheek, but it's partly really nerdy bike excess obsessive. But when did this make the jump to porn? Is what I would. Well, like to I know. read it as if it was porn. I, I see. That's the jump. That's the jump yeah. because, it's, quite it's frankly, I, well, this I, is the way they get you. Though this is the I, new world bike order. Is that what it is? <laughs> I'm just saying I would never masturbate to this. Yeah, I don't actually masturbate to it, but I get all tingly and excited about it. Uh, I see. I was going to say because it's like it's it's like masturbating to the Home Shopping Network. 
So didn't we have didn't we have discussion is, about how people get excited by what they get excited about? Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. We did have that discussion. So this is not so much porn as it is etchings, though. Oh yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> well, okay, because I, I I feel this way when I buy a server, you know. Sure. Sure. So there you yeah. go. Geek yeah. porn, you know. Yeah. Okay. All right. I I, I will accept it. I, I, you All right. Know, yeah. Thank yeah, you. Absolutely. It gets my stamp of approval. And as we said earlier, my opinion is the one that counts. <laughs> <laughs> that oh, might no. have been pre-show, though. I don't remember. <laughs> oh, so should we talk about transabilism? Well, we should talk about transabilism. But so, oh, what the heck ahead. is transabilism? So um, it's kind of a made-up word, but it works really well. Um, it's kind of like disabled, and it's it's a fetishization of disability. So where an able-bodied person might wish to have an amputation or wish to be blind or wish to be deaf or whatever, um, and they kind of obsess about that. Um, I don't yeah. know if it's a fetishization. That's, I was just going to say, is fetish might be, I think, the wrong word for this because uh, – yeah. I guess I'm using that anthropologically rather than um, okay. like sexually. But uh, okay. they, so they, um, it's like OCD a bit, where they just they think and think and think about it, and they have this compulsion to be right. to be disabled in some way. Um, they have they have something they have something in their body that they absolutely are convinced in their mind does not belong there. Mm-hmm. Like right, the lady in the the lady in the translabelism article. She does not believe that her legs should work, and she's right. gone to the point of wearing leg braces and spending most of her life in a wheelchair, even though she's got functional legs, and she's been trying to find somebody to sever the nerves so that she doesn't have functional legs. So, and the psychological term is body integrity identity disorder, so right. I think it's named, and I, I'm not positive, but I think it's in the DSM-5. I'd have to look at that. But. It is, um, and this is... Well, I'll, I'll touch upon that later. Just go ahead and roll oh, with it. No, Sorry. I was just going to – yeah, so it just raises all of these issues, um, I guess. It's 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 kind of shocking that someone would not appreciate their ability and they would want to be disabled. And then in this particular article in the Daily Mail, it is this woman who um, wears these leg braces and uses a wheelchair and wishes to be paralyzed. She believes that she's living as a paraplegic, but – she skis and she gets up out of her wheelchair to carry it up and down stairs and right but she, and she skis has bladder for a specific reason though to yeah there's a risk yeah she wants to hurt herself but yeah. she she believes that she's living as a paraplegic but she has bladder and bowel function and presumably whatever you know sexual function or whatever that might be compromised in if those nerves were severed so i don't i mean i, I don't know i have such it's so interesting. I'd like to hear someone else's take on this because I'm having trouble processing it. Well, you know, it, it reminded me when I when I thought about this, I thought of phantom limb pain because that that's the you know if somebody loses a, a limb, um, they their brain is still wired to feel it's there. And right. one of these articles does talk about the, this idea that that the, the brain wiring might be might not have accepted that limb properly, and right, that might mapping. be what yeah. So 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 it might be more of a of a mapping issue that they have this limb that their brain thinks shouldn't be there. Unlike the the opposite, where with the phantom limb plane, where somebody is missing a limb that their brain thinks should be there, mm-hmm. and so it. And I don't, and, and I don't think anybody really knows um, if that's the case. But I think that, that there was some su- that people did suspect that um, it might be that kind of a uh, uh, brain issue. 
You know, the thing that interested me in that article, though, about the lady who was wearing the leg braces in the wheelchair was that it seemed like she actually had a she had an image that she went by, which is her grandmother. I think they mentioned in the article they, that right. she seemed like she had an image that she formed her body image off of. Yeah, a relative or somebody wore leg braces when she uh, let's see. She, uh, she, Chloe first realized she was different at the age of four after visiting her aunt Olive, who was using leg braces after a bike accident. I wanted them too, she said. I wondered why I wasn't born needing them and felt something was wrong with me because I didn't have them. So yeah, that early imprinting maybe. Hmm. You know, I, I, I can re- recall wanting to play with crutches, right? What's that like? Um, yeah. My dad had injured his leg and... And so, but I, yeah. I, it never went to the point where I was like, I wanted to live on crutches, but you know, yeah. I wanted to play with a wheelchair, but again, I haven't necessarily wanted to right. live in one. Yeah. That, that's another thing. Right. Yeah. But, yeah. So, you know, I'm looking for the stats on, on how many, how many people do actually have body identity disorder. Um, it was pretty low. I remember. Uh, actually, I think it's, I think it's actually, it's low in terms of people that have it this severely that they actually want to have an amputation, but it's higher in terms of it's a lot higher than you would think in terms of people who have a milder case of it. Well, and you know? is it is it um, like maybe a, a category akin to transgender sort of like is it a? Uh, I think you're. I think you're. I think you're slippery sloping there because yeah. usually people who are trans who are transgender are much more respectful of their body's integrity than what we've got here. Um, they're much more careful about how they do things. They are trying to be comfortable in their body with how they think their body should look, but they're less likely to get um, less likely to get really, really invasive surgery than than the people that we're talking about here, the transablism people. What about plastic surgery, people who are constantly trying to make their face look a certain way? Or hormone therapy? To grow breasts or whatever. See, and once again, I'm not. I, I don't know. I mean, the, it's so different from all of these things, even. Yeah. But I, I can see where the plastic surgery. Um, and and but that's probably closer to like the people. Somebody who wants that breast. You know, somebody who's constantly like Michael Jackson, who who um, you know, and they have. There's a syndrome for that too, isn't there? The people that are constantly trying to um, change their face. The you know, plastic surgery addictions. Right. I I don't know if that's considered to be. Well, if it's considered to be a mental illness, then a lot of people are affected by it. Well, I, I think that but, yeah, there's there a is, level there where there is a surgery be. addiction. Yeah, a surgery yeah. addiction. Maybe um, that's what it is. There's yeah. plastic surgery addiction. The only um, thing Jackson ever admitted to was he didn't want his dad's nose. And then after that, you know, obviously something else triggered in him. But it did trigger with no. him looking at something saying, this isn't the way I want it to be. I don't think that we're ever going to be able to say that all these things are the same issue because they're probably not. And I'll bet that even transableism has multiple different causes that, that – I, I bet it isn't one thing. I'll bet it's, I bet it's that hard to actually – that you can't just say it's this. Right? Right, it's For, got a lot of levels. Right. Some I people, mean I've got – I can say that I will walk into the bathroom and look in the mirror – and I experience about three to four seconds of who the hell is that because I don't necessarily look like I think I should look. Well, that's an interesting – And when I listen yeah. to myself on well, recordings, I don't sound like I think I should sound. Well, that's but, well, that, that's true though. You don't sound on a recording like you sound in your head. That, that's just a fact. You don't recognize yourself that quickly. There was an interview being done with the actress um, – really, I, I love the first season of it, a show called um, Orphan Black. Yeah, that was good. 
um, the actress was interviewed talking about, um, you know, the fact that, you know, um, uh, you, all, all the clones, you know, you recognize yourself. She said, actually, in real life, I, I wish I could remember the name of it. She said, and actually, in real life, you wouldn't recognize them as looking just like you. You'd see them and you might think they're familiar, but you wouldn't actually register that this person looks just like you do. Because however our minds recognize ourselves, we don't necessarily trigger that way. Okay. And there is a, um, you know, actual part of our psychology that does that, that we, uh, you know, and it, like you said, you know, in the morning you will look in the mirror and it might take you a second and say, oh, yeah, that is me, isn't it? You know, because of people who have had traumatic brain injuries, we've been able to, um, you know, pinpoint certain things like people there. There's some people that have had um, accidents where they can no longer recognize their spouse when they see them. But if they hear them on the phone, they know who that person is. But if they're standing right in front of them, they don't recognize that as their as their spouse or somebody that they know. I had a discussion about uh, when, you know, coming up on doing this podcast, I had a discussion with Sam about transabilism. And somehow we got into discussion of phantom limbs. And from what she was saying, a phantom limb can actually show up as something on like an MRI. It will oh, actually show where the limb was on an MRI. Not just in the brain, but yeah, well, you where still the have limb the... actually was physically, it'll show up. There's a logic to that, though. You would still have the nerve ending. That right. connected... You're saying you can actually see the, the whole limb in an MRI? You can see like a ghost image of something, right? Uh, I'd like and to see that. Part of that. Do you have, do you have anything that, that demonstrates Sorry, that? Go, I, I, go ahead, Brian. That do you, makes, makes more sense is what you'd register is the um, electrical pulse is still trying to go to. Right. I can, I can, I, right. That, I would, that I would believe, but as far as the MRI actually showing the limb, I'd like to see that. Or the activity was, in the brain where the, yeah, whatever the digits The activity yeah, in the brain the we have seen. The activity in the brain seen. makes sense. Yeah. Right. Particularly when, since we're talking about a phantom limb, but actually seeing it on the MRI. Is that what you're saying? In, is, in the MRI, on, on the brain, you actually see the limb. Uh, that's not what I'm saying. Because I think that, that, is that, not is, what, that is not what the discussion that I had was, was focused on. And I haven't looked at this information myself. So, because what, are you saying that actually, if you if you if the arm is cut off and somebody's in a full body MRI, you'll see a ghost image of the limb? I'm saying that that has been. I'm saying that I've heard that that can happen. I don't believe that. Yeah, I don't either. Okay. And part of this discussion was also the fact that in cases of people who are who are transgendered, if they are thinking in a way that is more like the gender that they want to be, let's say uh, female to male, that a ghost image of male genitalia may show up on the MRI. Uh, that sounds like an extraordinary claim. It does, but it would be cool if it was true. It, it, we should check it. Yeah, we, we should, should check it. it. I, I have doubts about that. But I'm, I'm bringing it up right now because I had this discussion, Okay, but I, I will be checking on it. But here's the, here's the thing is that as far as like the mappings in the brain and stuff like that, I think that we have been able to identify um, that you know that the brain still registers that limb. Yeah, right. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, that that makes so, sense. And yeah. and like Ian was now, saying, the nerve endings actually still firing kind of makes sense too. I like the idea of this being akin to like the reverse of phantom limb syndrome. Like I guess you'd call it phantom not limb syndrome in this case. Right, but I bet that like, the limb is not actually theirs. Like it's not actually plugged into their brain. I, I bet that that could be the case in some instances, but I'll bet it's not the case in all. I'm I'm thinking that this is more like a spectrum disorder, you know, that the, there are uh, multiple causes. The other the other thing on this is that you know, you may get somebody who's got a finger that's not that that is not theirs. And they go in and they try to get that finger removed, and 
nobody will remove that finger. So they have a little accident at home, and then they come in to get where the finger was bandaged. Sure. Yeah, there's a really high risk, I think, of self-harm. Um, yeah. You know, the other thing, too, the other, the other point of my discussion with Sam on this was that it's, it's similar in some ways to anorexia in that a person who's afflicted with this body identity integrity disorder can look at another person and they see a person with five fingers. Let's say that they feel like they've got an extra finger they shouldn't have. They'll see a person with five fingers and they'll say, okay, well, that's perfectly normal. But when they look at their hand, they feel like they've got an extra finger. So it's not that they... It's not that they see everybody's bodies as being, you know, having an extra finger. It's just their own that they see as having an extra finger. It's the same thing with uh, anorexia where, you know, they, they see somebody, somebody who's anorexic may see somebody who's, who else who's got anorexia and say, oh, my God, she's too thin. She's going to die. But when they see themselves and they're thinner than this person, they see themselves as fat. You know, I mean, if, if that was if, a mood killer. I mean, if we're going to go that far, and and maybe it's correct, then we can also look at the person who's trying to change their face with plastic surgery. I mean, it, from from that perspective, any anything that somebody's doing that that they think this doesn't look right on me, and they're changing, falls into that category. So, what about yeah. bo- like body modification or tattooing? Sure, or? I, I, yeah, I mean, I, from a high level, right? Yeah. But I'm not. I'm just not sure that I that I would quite. It's it's a slippery be slope. that general. And how general far do you want it. to go on it? Yeah. The other thing I was going to say, as far as people kind of doing, you know, doing self surgery on this, having a little accident, is they may end up damaging something that causes more to be taken off, which is going to cause bigger problems not only body wise but in their head because now they've got now they've got too few of something that they feel like they should have just the right amount of. Did you guys watch the Jerry Springer one that I put up there? I have not I watched, watched it, no. Part of it. <laughs> it was hard to watch, right? It was pretty it was, it was pretty outrageous. And and it wasn't and it wasn't dealt with in a very um Didn't you put up another Jerry Springer episode at one point or didn't Ian because I think that I've actually had my fill of Jerry Springer for the decade. Yeah, well, it wasn't – the person had been a trans, transgendered and then, and then they also felt like they, they, um, they, they, their legs – they didn't want their legs. And so they took a power saw, a circular saw to their legs. Yeah, like a DeWalt or something. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and yeah, it, the problem is, of course, it was on Jerry Springer and it was not – like I say, it wasn't dealt with in a, in a very respectful way. Um, or even a very comforting way, um, and but nobody does in the Jerry Springer show. And this person knew what they were getting into. I think when they went on the show, um, right? On, on, still, though, it was difficult to watch. Well, that yeah. kind of gets to my per- like. This is so interesting to me because I have, on the one hand, I have a great deal of compassion for people with mental illness, and I think that's what this is. But. Um, there's a, I just have kind of a visceral reaction to it too. Like it's a little bit outrageous that you wouldn't be grateful. You know what I mean? I don't know. I don't in the way that I don't have a visceral reaction necessarily to transgendered people. I have a visceral reaction to this. It's a little bit negative, and yeah, I'm not sure why that is. I'm not sure well, why I feel so strongly. The idea that somebody who has two perfectly good legs doesn't want them is difficult to understand. And and really, there's probably no way for us to really empathize with that person. Um, yeah, and, and that's part of the problem with treatment too. Is that most people have this reaction of that's just crazy, and these people aren't crazy. In fact, the woman that that we were referring to that that wanted to be paralyzed, she's a professor somewhere. 
She's well educated. She's, I mean, and and she's seen therapists, and she still feels this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yep. and her her therapist actually is the one who suggested she start using a wheelchair. Right. Well, I mean, because she was, I mean, anything to try and make her feel better about herself, right? So she could, you know, live more normal. Or, right, I mean, but really anything? Like, is it okay then for her to go, like, is it ethical for him then to refer her for surgery? Well, I, I, I'm going to refer back to another podcast where we were talking about the, the right to die. And we were talking mm-hmm. about even a 20-year-old has the right to take their own life, we felt, if, or at least I felt, if that's really what they want to do, if they really didn't want to live. So in this particular case, if, if they really want to disable themselves, yeah, but perhaps. The problem that I see is that where does that impact the people around them? What's the cost You know, for, for – I mean it, it costs us money to have people in wheelchairs, right? So I, I maybe that's not a, a, a fair way to put it but yeah you might be taking money from somebody from somebody who actually needs those services and so there's a different discussion and that's an interesting discussion and a sobering one as well yeah yeah sure well i get all up in our i mean i don't know i think what was bugging me about this is the idea that this woman with two functional legs could take a handicapped parking space away from someone who really needed it or yeah, what yeah, you know yeah. I, I don't know why that just ruffles my well, feathers much. but you know you're looking at her having functional legs from the standpoint of the physical, whereas it seems as if there is something very, very deep mentally that is telling her that she is actually that she is actually handicapped and does not have two functional legs. Although one of my concerns with any of this would be the next step. Would that actually appease their um, needs? I mean, if she goes in and gets her legs um, amputated or disconnected or whatever you want to say, um, what's going to stop from saying, oh, well, okay, I still don't feel right. There are people that have other handicaps that I don't have. I need those as well now. Well, then then we got to look at whether or not it's, you know, whether it's a psychological issue or an actual brain wiring issue, right? I mean, it, if, if it really is the brain says that that limb shouldn't be there, it's probably going to solve the problem, right? And in many of these articles that I was reading, it actually did solve the problem. But it doesn't take in account to every single case. To, to your point, no. uh, yeah, it, it's it's an interesting question. Well, the 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 question is: Is it body identity disorder, body identity integrity disorder, or is it surgery addiction? Is it that you have a body part that, in your mind, is not yours and you want it gone, or is it that? The surgery itself is the attraction, and you're just looking for things to lop off. And I think they're two different things. So if you're talking about a surgery addiction, then they're going to get one thing cut off, and then they're going to look at getting something else cut off. They're going to get one thing done and then the next. If you're talking about body identity integrity disorder, unless something drastic changes in their mindset, when that limb that is not theirs is gone, it's gone, and it's not going to bother them anymore. And it shouldn't. It sh- nothing else should bother them as long as their mental state stays on the on the even keel. What if I, I understand what you're saying in terms of like amputation or whatever? But in terms of this particular case, like I said earlier, what if she's unprepared for like me? What if she's unprepared for not having bladder and bowel function, or what if she's unprepared for what it means to not be able to get up out of the chair like she does now? Then it sounds like she chose poorly. Because we yeah. her to die to a sex change operation. And we said, you know, the sex change operation, there's no going back. Once you do it, right. 
you know, and so if you're going to make that choice, you go through a lot of counseling. They make sure before they approve you for anything like that, that you know exactly what you're getting into, that they, the doctors have no doubt whatsoever that you are ready for this, that you're going to accept it, that it's what's right for you. And we were talking about how right to die should be the same kind of thing. You shouldn't just rush into it. You should look right. at it and plan that, yes, it's the right thing for me. And it would be the same thing in this case. You, you don't let people just rush into it. You say, okay, we're going to go through a bit of some real counseling to make sure you understand beforehand that you can't go back. Once we disconnect your legs, once we go in there and mess with the nerves and make it so you can't use your legs, you're not going to be able to come back and say, you know what, I've changed my mind now. So yeah, we're not going to see somebody. We're not going to if we can get counseling in there. We're not going to see somebody go through some sort of a back alley rink, Lincoln rhyming and and end up in a wheelchair. So, but the basic idea being, you better be ready for this because if you're not going to sit down and accept all that comes with it, no one's going to do it. And, and right. you know, that that's all be planned out ahead of time. Right. So none of these decisions should be made made lightly, and I I, I don't no. think anybody would disagree with that. Right. Well. And you know the question we've got up there on the on the document is it ethical to ant to amputate a healthy limb? Oh well, boy, that's a that is. Uh, how do you answer that question? I mean, that's if it, if it's messing with somebody's no. life, if it's, it's if if it's wrong in their mind, is it a, if it is it actually a healthy limb? Right. Well, that's, yeah, yeah. Um, this that definitely are gray. Yeah, it's complex for sure. Um, because I have a negative reaction kind of to this, I was thinking about I was thinking about it more from the perspective of um, a psychological disorder that's maybe not as organically based as like a neuro like the mapping thing that we were talking about, like a neurological disorder. But yeah, I agree that it's probably a combination of things. Yeah. Um, I was I, I I have a hard time calling it a psychological disorder because it's too much of a it's too much of a slippery slope. Um, you know, if you say that this is a psychological disorder, it's it's a hop, skip, and a jump to transgenderism and gender reassignment is a psychological disorder too. So, in I read a couple of articles about um, transgender treatment, and uh, I, apparently they do it a little bit differently in Canada. There was a discussion on Slate's Double X podcast, and then Hannah Rosen wrote an article in the Atlantic. Um, kind of about this and and I'm only discussing it because it's the closest thing that I can think of that I can sort of wrap my mind around that might have some parallels to the transabled issue. Um, they discussed the case in Colorado here where there was a transgendered um, girl who wanted to use the girl's bathroom at her elementary school but you know parents just freaked the hell out because people are crazy. I'm saying that derogatorily intentionally to people who are intolerant. Okay. Uh, when you say transgendered girl Wanting to use the girl's back of the room, are we talking physically girl or are we talking physically boy who inside was a girl? Physically boy. Wanted to okay. use, you know, wear dresses and stuff. So right. um, in the way that young children and, and people and whatever try on different aspects of their identity, like, um, you know, try on superhero costumes or try on, you know, try out different things to kind of figure out who they are, try on astronaut suits and whatnot. I There's this idea that sometimes kids are doing that when they think they're transgendered and maybe they're not actually transgender they're just trying on this identity for a while and if we kind of just let them do that without interfering too much they will either grow out of it or not and then you can take that you know where it goes but what happened with this girl the discussion on the podcast was um so her parents lobbied for her to use the girl's bathroom which i completely agree with i think that who cares you know if little boys and little girls use the same bathroom um but all of these 
systems in her house and in her life and this huge court case which forced eventually them to let her use the girls bathroom um contributed to all of this external pressure for her to continue to be a girl and maybe she was genuinely transgendered and maybe she was just trying on that identity but all of a sudden there's all this external pressure to be this girl because now the whole family has changed and the whole family dynamic and who how they right. treat her and who so and, um you know we spend all this money you're going to be a girl if, and whether you like it or not at this point get used to your new pink dress Right. And we can't go back because we've done this court case now. I mean, mm -hmm. so in the U.S., it tends to be like a very direct linear progression from from that to, you know, hormone therapy at adolescence and possibly surgery in adulthood or whatever. In Canada, because they're in the national health system, they don't like to do surgeries and they don't like to intervene that much. So they kind of have a medical hands-off approach and they tell parents not to... Um, not to support that, not to be awful to your kids, but to, like, encourage them to be a boy or, you know, take the pink crayon, hide the pink crayons for a few days or whatever it is, which sounds brutal to us. But in Canada, the outcomes are very different, and it's hard to sort of parse what's, what's forced and what's, or what's the organic development of that. But only a very small percentage of these kids who identified as transgendered at very young ages go on to be transgendered adults. And so I'm wondering about the cultural... Um, mechanisms that contribute to how that differs between the U.S. and Canada. And regarding treatment of transableism, like if you, if your identity, you know, if there's all this pressure to, you know, not external pressure, but let's say you start going to a psychologist and they prescribe a wheelchair and then you have to use it. And then you've, you've um, been an activist for transabled um, acceptance and all of this. I don't know. Is there some part where you sort of get caught up in that flow? I don't know. I don't know how we treat. Yeah. You know, I mean, no. I think the, the question question I'm asking myself now is these the transgendered as a child in Canada but not transgender as an adult in Canada. Uh -huh. Do these kids when they become adults do they go on to be lumberjacks because that's not a certainty that they're no longer transgendered. Right. right. Yeah. I'm just saying. No, I I see your point and it's yeah and there's the I'm whole I'm a lumberjack and I'm okay. Is it is it possible I that these people just learn to accept themselves better for some you know I mean isn't isn't part of this acceptance of their difference too I mean some people may may want the surgery but others may just you know I mean oh, and also culturally it may not be in Canada that you have to fight as hard to be different as you have to fight in the United well, States Well see and I'm wondering if that yeah that might be part of it too I mean so there might be some cultural differences there Back to the bigotry discussion, right? Like, yeah. little boy wears a dress here, and people lose their cookies over it. You know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> or he's Scottish. Right. <laughs> um, remember the podcast subject we did the article, Ian? You put that up about my princess girl or my princess boy. I think it was. You remember that? I don't remember what podcast <laughs> was in. I remember. But you know, they were they were talking about letting the kids be free to express every aspect of their personality. And if you fight something down, if you if you suppress it, they're going to fight that much harder to try to bring it up. You know, one of these stories in here is about a, um, uh, what is it, my, what is it? It's a, I mean, oh, man, which one is it? Um, is it the Atlantic article? It was like it was like five pages, which is this one that's like, yeah, my boy life. Mm -hmm. um, and... In that, you know, with the, here here's this little boy Brandon who says he's a girl, and you know, and, and 
Um, and it's hard to tell, you know, when the child is that young, you know, I mean, what that, what that, what does that mean if they, if they're telling you that they're a boy? <laughs> I mean, it, it could very well just be a phase or something that they're saying. It, it's very difficult to say, but do you, uh, what, what do you do about it? My daughter, this is totally random anecdotal. My daughter has a really short haircut and um, she carries herself she carries herself very confidently and she's just this tiny little pixie kid. Um, and she wears, she doesn't wear necessarily boyish clothes, but she doesn't like dresses cause they slow her down. She does. It's not that she doesn't like dresses. It's just that she likes the freedom of movement. There's like an age related correlation with people who call her boy. They, she can have a pink shirt on. She can have, you know, and people always say, Hey buddy. Hey little guy. It's really fascinating. So we've had a lot of discussions with her about, because when she was younger, she used to ask, am I a boy or am I a girl? And, you know, we had a lot of discussions about that. You know, well, you're a girl, but you're who you want to be. And uh, it's just really interesting to me. Um, some days she used to say, well, I want to be a boy. And we'd be like, okay. And then the next day she'd say, well, I want, you know, I decided I'm a girl today. That, whatever. I mean, she's a tiny little kid. And if you just, I don't know, in my opinion, if you just kind of stay calm about that stuff, there's less chance of it turning into a huge big deal. Well, isn't yeah. you? Oh, I was gonna say, you know, the part that, that scares me the most about this is if you have a kid that's insistent and you have parents that are resistant, what is that going to do to the kid's self esteem? At, at what point? I mean, yeah. I mean, there, there's there's head butting, and then you ask all the experts, and none of them can decide. You know that it's such a touchy issue. Um, as what do you do? And, and I think that you know the, the the wait and see approach. You know, let let them act it out. Let them do what they need to do. Um, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I agree. I think so too. And in that Atlantic article, there was a lot about that kind of the, conf- the conflicting information among the experts and what how they how early they think you should start treating it and stuff. Right. And there, there's an expert and says here that it's absolutely not a brain identity issue. It's a tra- it's it's about a traumatic childhood. It's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like the refrigerator. Not, that cannot be. That cannot be the case in every case. No, exactly right. But but this guy, he he could identify it back to oh, this one person had tumors as a kid. That's why they have gender identity issues. It's like, how does that even correlate? They had what as a kid? Um, lung um, lung tumors that had to be removed. So they had some traumatic surgeries as a kid, and that's what caused okay. them to want to you know be the other sex. Okay, so they had lung tumors, and that made them want to have breasts. Uh, or remove or 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 grow a penis. Uh, yeah, it was stuff like that. It was it was crazy stuff like that. He just made these random correlations. He says it's not brain, and then he makes these the these ridiculous correlations. You know, it's like, and none of it you know is provable. It's all subjective. You know, his subjective opinion. And this, right. I mean, and that's a the and the and the article overall was a good article because I think it tried to highlight where he had been wrong several times. Um, and but it. You know, it, it, there's no good way. I I, I don't know. I, I can't think of a good intervention other than to, to let things progress. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder, thinking just about what you were saying about the conflict between the parents and the children. I wonder if I think one of the articles you put up, Brian, had some something about it being a combination, maybe of the transabilism being a combination of maybe um, uh, neurological wiring and also maybe a triggering event. And I'm you know like in that right. article about seeing the aunt with the leg braces. I'm wondering if young children, as young children, some of these people expressed that desire and the parents were immediately like, no, that's crazy. Shut up. You know, don't even say that out loud or well, whatever. And maybe yeah. that helped 
Yeah, I don't know. You, and you don't know because these people, like like the one woman who we, we keep going back to, she says that she never told anybody. But when you're that young, you could have said something to somebody, and somebody's like, "Oh, that," you know, and never never bring that up again. And so you didn't, and you just don't remember doing it. Yeah, you know? and I think that I think that saying that she never told anybody is probably extremely unreliable. Well, yeah, you know, a kid is gonna is going to get spout off at the mouth all the time. Kids spout off of the mouth about every absolutely everything. The the other so thing is your did, bird apparently. Yeah, the yeah, Jardine's yeah. parrot. No, that's that's Odin. That's oh, that's Odin. Okay, oh, yeah. he's got a higher voice than Tango. <laughs> um, the other thing I didn't like about the Atlantic article was that um, it, it's all it's all hearsay. We're we're hearing from from the parents and we're and we're hearing from the therapists, but none of that stuff was was really talking to the to the the people that are in these situations mm -hmm. and like so so we've got therapists right. who are telling us what they think it's about, but we're not actually talking to the people who are experiencing it and trying to get what their what their very human experience of this particular issue is right and it's difficult like it, it it's with young children. It's just so difficult, but I think that you you can make things far worse by telling them it's wrong and by and you know and by denigrating them for for wanting to put on a dress. You know, at at, at clever kids where where um, um where my wife works and where um, Ian's wife used to work, um, the boys will come in and put on dresses. They they play dress up. That should, and and the, it it doesn't mean that later in life they're going to want to wear dresses. But when you're playing. That I mean, it's just dress up. They're well, just and if roles. if yeah. the kid right. wants to put on a dress, and you tell the kid that he's he's way wrong for wanting to put on a dress, he's not going to want to put on the the dress less, but he's going to want to tell you about it a lot less. Well, yeah. And you know, you may catch him going through the contents of your closet and wearing your high heeled pumps at some point. Not my pumps because I hit him. <laughs> no, well, and I that's good because <laughs> that's good because you know those spike heels on yours, Brian, are likely to likely to break one of your kids' ankles. Yeah, no, yeah, no. My wife can't even wear them; they're so tall. The seven inch seven inch <laughs> spike heels are just not healthy. I it, it's almost more wrong for the ch for the parent to to tell the kid you can't wear the dress. In fact, it is. It's it's wrong for the parent to tell the kid you can't wear that dress. It's not necessarily wrong for the kid to actually put it on and try on the dress and try out the role. No. Like like Terry said, they're just trying out roles. Right. Let the kids be kids. What if your kid wants to try out the crutches? No biggie. Or sit no in the biggie. wheelchair? No yeah, big deal. Yeah, no right? biggie. In fact, they yeah. should. They should experience wheelchairs those are, things. Wheelchairs are cool. Yeah, they oh, are. They are yeah. shiny chrome. <laughs> they've got they've got wheels on them. They've oh. got this sling between the chrome pieces. They're cool unless you happen to be stuck in one for life. Well, I did that. Robot legs, yeah. those, those robotic limbs are amazing. Those are talk about cool tech. I those did that in high cool. school where I spent a day um, in a wheelchair and we were in, up in Estes Park. And, uh, you know, and uh, I was in high school. And, uh, and of course, you get, you get treated different. I mean, yeah. it, it, is, it is different with the way that the way somebody in a wheelchair gets treated compared to everybody else. I did a play in high school, uh, The Man Who Came to Dinner, and I was originally cast as the role of Sheridan Whiteside, who does whose role is from a wheelchair most of the most of the play. And I have to tell you that it's initially cool, but after a while, you start to get real sore from rolling that thing around. I bet, yeah. Oh yeah. The arm strength. Yeah, we each had to spend a day in the chair. That was. In, wow. Yeah. Right. Um. One thing I was thinking about when I was trying to process this was um, the cargo cults, the historical cargo cults. Um, what 
these originated in like uh, Micronesia when um, during World War II when um, they would receive you know they'd see these airplanes that they had never seen before and they would receive this you know this amazing technology and these packages of of you know manufactured goods and things that they had never been exposed to but they because they didn't understand the manufacturing process and all of that they associated it with gods and so in order to try to get more of this or to attract more of this largesse they would engage in a cargo cult so they would build stick rifles and they would march and drill like real soldiers but to try to get more of the more of the material goods um so uh car the i just wrote down a couple of things that I think are slightly parallel between cargo cults and transabilism from just thinking about it anthropologically. To, when I think about it in this regard, I'm thinking about um, becoming disabled as a change in social status. And in some ways, maybe people who desire that see it as, a, as an increasing in social status, and maybe that's part of why they desire it. So the parallels that I saw, um, it's a, the apparent belief that various ritualistic acts will lead to to the the material wealth or the the integrity disorder status the change in in your status in society um, these uh, they cargo cults and in a lot of the transabilism articles that it emerged in situations of stress or crisis or whatever criti- kind of critical points in in these people's lives um, third point is they stage or pantomime the desired condition. So like the stick rifles and the marching and the drilling and the putting on the leg braces you don't actually need or using the wheelchair you don't actually need is, um, is pantomiming that. And maybe on some level they believe that creating the technology or mimicking the technology will attract the change in status, will make that happen for them. And it's maybe true in the case of transabled people if they go on to receive surgery. It's an interesting thought, but I do kind of want to take issue with the leg braces they don't actually need and the wheelchair they don't actually need because I can make an argument that the lady in the article does actually need the leg braces and the wheelchair or else she suffers mental stress. Remember yeah, that, yeah, she got the leg braces from an accident. She actually did have an accident, and so she needed the leg braces because of that. Right, but even 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 if she only needs them mentally, she still needs them in order to achieve, uh, achieve a state of mental... Uh, you know, mental peace. Function, yeah. What do you think about the status hypothesis that, like Brian was saying, he got treated differently when he was in a wheelchair? It's an interesting thought. But yeah, I'll tell um, you what, it's not always necessarily better. It's it's almost more, you know... Um, I think there's something to it, though. It, there is something to it. Um, you get, it's... What do I want to say? It was, it was almost well, not genuine. Well, sometimes you get treated with pity. Yeah, exactly. It's pity. It's not. It's not. It's not almost. It's not. It's genuine. You get a lot more pity. That's what it is. You know, I've been. Uh, I've been reading a lot of a lot of Louis Lamore books. I've been borrowing from my father, and I don't know if he's a hundred percent right about this, but it's an interesting thought that he's put in several books, which is he's he's referred to not. He said that the downfall of the Native American was not the was not the uh, white man's soldiers as much as it was the white man's goods because it made him desire things that he could not make for himself. Hmm. And therefore he had to trade for or steal those things. And that the thing about the cargo cult made me think of that. Sure. You know, it was, that was certainly true with, uh, with whiskey, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's also true with and rifles. rifles. Rifles, yeah. Um, Horses. Pelts. Horses, for sure. Yeah, horses. I guess the pelts they could have gotten too, but the white man had a better way, I think, of pressing them and stuff. 
uh, blankets. Yep. With or without smallpox. Um, you know, <laughs> that's an interesting, that yeah, that's an interesting discussion in itself because uh, I was talking to Rich Orman, and he doesn't think that ever actually happened. He think that that he thinks that that, that there's no um, actual data to back that up. Okay. Yeah, but it, but it, it, it could it very easily be a, it yeah. could very easily be an urban legend. Yeah. yeah. And you know, there uh, there have been a couple of things that have come from that uh, period of history that have been urban legends. You think so? Funny thing. I thought there were written records about the smallpox stuff. I'd have to I, I don't know. That's a, yeah. I, I haven't. I never found them. It all seems to be hearsay. But there could be. I just haven't seen. Them. Um, uh, I, and it I, could I, also be. Um, it also could be like a like a cultural story, and and it could be true in the sense that this is the way that this is the way that one group of people treated the other group of people without actually being true in fact. Sure. We can imagine yeah. that like. The pristine um, immune systems of the Native Americans, I mean, who knows what the heck they came in contact with just exchanging goods with the Europeans, whether it was intentional infection or not. Well, and then I've also had kind of a weird – I've had a weird thought that, um, you know, we got tobacco when we came here and we brought sugar and we don't do well with tobacco. We being the uh, European – European peoples, we don't do well with tobacco. Tobacco can kill us. Well, wait a second. You, are you saying that Native Americans do better with it? I'm I'm wondering if they have less of a sensitivity to it, but they have a higher sensitivity to sugar, which could also indicate why the uh, could also indicate why the alcoholism seems to happen on a higher level. But it's just a personal thing. Or the type two diabetes yep. happens. Um, but there's there's a whole yeah. like there. It's hard to differentiate that from. The economic realities of life on the reservation, though, too. You know, how far off topic are we? Way, oh, we're way off topic. Can we we're talk about? Here, there, do you guys want to talk about why I'm trans? I, I might be trans. No, you want you're to talk not. About I don't think you're. Tell, trans- tell us about Let's it, but about but I I don't buy it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I desired a change in status. I desire. I'm done. I'm done using my uterus to to bear children. Um, and so there's a slick new procedure called Eshore where it's a it's a non-surgical tubal ligation. They uh, dilate the cervix and um, insert um, a medical device that puts a little plastic kind of um, inserts into the fallopian tubes. And then uh, over time, your body forms scar tissue around those and it occludes the fallopian tubes so the eggs can't be fertilized. So um, I had that procedure, which rendered my fertility non-functional. And then um, because I wasn't going to host any more parasites in my uterus, I decided that why on earth would I want to menstruate at all? So there, I had a second procedure called the Novasure procedure, which is very similar to the first procedure, but they, um, they, insert, they dilate and insert a, a wand in there that emits, um, so I can't remember if it's radio, radio wave heat or something that... Um, basically kind of cauterizes the uterine lining and then you slough it off and after a couple of cycles you're done having periods so i have rendered my uterus non-functional for its intended purposes and i feel like a rock star yeah, i feel you, awesome about you this. already used it so for you, its intended purposes and then you microwaved it yeah totally and i i totally i do i feel like i have superpowers okay so this is why i don't think it's transableism if somebody waved a magic wand and suddenly you started menstruating again and your eggs were coming down the tubes and rolling straight on down where they were supposed to end up in the uterus, um, would you suffer mental anguish from that? No, I would do what I did prior to the surgeries, which was get an IUD. Okay. 
and see, you know, I, from what I've read in terms of Iraq and Afghanistan, <laughs> those are dangerous and unpredictable. And they kill people. So, wait, you could say the wait, same thing about a vasectomy. I said IUD. Okay, sorry, it's a different thing. You could say the same thing about a vasectomy. Sure. Yeah, that's but, what I'm trying you know, to get at. Yeah. No, it's not. It's not the same kind of mental mental thing. It, the, there, there is a functional purpose in in doing those things, and that, yeah. and that really makes it. I mean, it, it, uh, it's not the same. Well, the, I'm coming at it from the standpoint that, you know, Brian, you you had the vasectomy. If your vasectomy was suddenly reversed, you know, you might be mentally anguished if you found out about that in an unexpected way, like suddenly, you know, having another child. But you wouldn't be mentally anguished about the the reversal of the of the vasectomy itself. You'd just be kind of mildly irritated, right? It, it's, um, it's yeah. You know, you this is not something that you didn't you haven't since like the age of fourteen thought. My God, those vas deferens are just not mine. So I don't think it's trans transabilism. The other thing is is that I, I think that that almost makes light of of these people who really do have this condition and it, and it's a serious thing in their life. I mean, yeah. if you had you feel better for doing it, but it's not the same kind of it doesn't it doesn't hamper your life the same way that these people are 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 right. Yeah, no, of course not, and it's not my intention to be um, yeah, so, to be intolerant. No, 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 I, I realize in, that. In in comparing transabilism to to the procedure you went to, Brian, there is a vast difference. <laughs> vast difference. <laughs> well, but the people who the, some of the same objections to the surgical uh, treatment of transabilism might also be objections that people would have to what Brian and I, like. Uh, rendering your vas deferens non-linear or whatever, rendering your fallopian tubes non-functional. Some of the same, like in this, in the way that people object to amputation or whatever, which is granted so much more serious. And yes, it's just such a more See, serious condition. But when you say um, some but, people, but in you the mean case Catholics. of when you're talking about people objecting to, um, you know, the procedure that you had done on your fallopian tubes and uterus, and the procedure that Brian had done on his uh, his um, the kind of the kind of objection that you're likely to see is more cultural than it is um, personal. It's more like it's going to come from. I feel like it's more like it's going to come from. Well, you know, you're not you're not doing your service to God because you've you've made yourself unable to spread spread your seed upon the earth. Sure. Yeah, I agree with that. Good point. And you're probably a, a hippie pinko, which is might be true. You know, Excellent. but here's the thing is that when the, okay. the people that are going to have the most problem with this are religious people, Catholics and stuff like that, particularly, will have, have this, you know, because this is birth control and they have huge problems with that. We can, we can, we can pinpoint a, a sector of people that are going to have the biggest issue with this. So um, the objections to um, tra surgical treatment for transabilism. Do you think those are more wide, widespread? Or, I do. I because I yeah, I think so. I think more people I, would would, would have issue that, with it. I think that the objections to the surgery for transabilism are more in terms of in terms of medical ethics, and most people look at it and they go ooh and simply can't understand it. You know, so, you don't sure. have some sort of a huge wall of of people saying no, you can't have this done. What you've got is a is a large wall of people saying, okay, I don't know what's wrong with you. You're crazy. Why don't? Why would you want to have that done? Right. Uh, regarding the ethics, um, and I I don't know, but 
it would is it better to treat with surgery to help someone avoid self-harm or you know harming themselves or skiing recklessly or whatever to try to get the disability themselves yeah. I, I just and brought I Kimberly on question I, I've thought about it since reading the article and I really don't have an answer for it yeah I don't have a good answer yeah. for it either I, I just brought Kimberly on Hi, Kimberly, Does Kimberly I have a good answer for it Right, but I do. I don't, what's the question? I'm, I'm going to put Kimberly on the spot here to talk about um, to talk about Yikes. gender real quick because she because she's talked about this before and the, how gender is not so clear cut. To go back to some earlier articles that we were talking about about because um, we were talking about um, um, uh, children and transgendered um, issues, and and you've talked before about how how gender is not so clear cut. It's not just X Y. Can can you right. briefly talk about that if you remember? enough about it oh yeah yeah no i i love it and uh, i'm happy to talk about it so um and and i obviously don't know exactly where you guys have been tonight so, that's okay um, for, uh, but i'll go ahead and start so as we all know um genetically gender uh they usually say is determined by your sex chromosomes either xx or xy and of course xx is usually female xy is usually male but the truth of that is really oversimplified in what most of us know, and um, sex characteristics are actually carried on every single chromosome, uh, not just those uh, particular ones. So that's one uh, misperception that a lot of people have. The other thing is that it's all clear-cut, that if you have XX chromosomes, you're female. If you have XY chromosomes, you're definitely male. But there's so much more that goes on in there. There's the actual uh, development of the tissue. There's the hormones that are involved in that. And uh, while we're evolved to be pretty amazing machines we are not without mutations and changes and some things don't switch on correctly and don't switch on necessarily at the right time it's all very very complex obviously and and lots of stuff can go wrong so uh one of the things that i'm very involved in is the intersex movement which is basically people who are born with atypical sex anatomy and that generally happens on a genetic level uh, in utero. Lots of different causes. Some of them can be inherited. Um, there can be, you, you can have like a whole family with uh, a line of, of these kind of characteristics. It can be a spontaneous mutation. Um, and a lot of times people don't even know that they have one of these. Uh, sometimes the differences are so slight they're not known. And in other cases, they're so very obvious at the birth of the child that doctors are confused and don't know what gender to assign the child. They'll have ambiguous genitalia that you look at it from the left, maybe that's a small penis, you look at it from the right and maybe it's just a large clitoris. And just to go back a half a second on that is, you know, we're all, the human body is made up of just one set of organs generally. Um, we all start out basically with the exact same parts and it's what our chromosomes switch on and off and what hormones affect us at the right times um, that, that generally work on our physiology. So um, as I think I'm sure we've talked about here before, you know, I mean, the clitoris and the penis are basically the exact same organ, just um, they've just been acted upon, if you will, by hormones and genetics and, and all those kind of things to, um, to what's the word? I'm obviously not a scientist here, but, but more for become what they are. But at, at their root, if you will, they're basically the same thing. Right. So, uh, And you mentioned the term 
the doctor to assign a gender, which in many cases happens surgery and also in many cases happens without the consent or consultation of the parent. Yeah, usually the parents are consulted. Um, I, I mean, it's not 100%, but it's also not generally done without consultation. Um, but what typically happens in these cases is, you know, um, well, first of all, you know, gender assignment is done with every single child. It's just usually not a very difficult thing to do, you know, and we do it with human beings uh, basically the exact same way we do it with animals. We look between the legs and that tells us what you've got. Um, and when it comes to children who are born with ambiguous genitalia, um, you know, of course, the first question that anybody asks, is it a boy or a girl? Uh, and when they don't know that answer, it often becomes considered a, a medical emergency, you know, like we don't know what to say. And I that freaks them out. I can't remember if it was in the Atlantic article or on the Slate podcast that I referenced earlier, but um, I think there's a trend towards, um, or at least a few doctors are trending towards taking a wait and see approach, where if it's ambiguous, wait and see, and it's the parents they're saying who are who need to know, like they they're right. the ones who have trouble waiting. Right, and th that was in the Atlantic article, and what the doctor is saying is, is, is the, my job is not to make the the parents feel more comfortable about this. My job is to take care of the patient, and the, and the parents are not the patient, and he would really like to see them uh, um, just hold off and wait. But yeah, one of the but reasons the parents that, need to know what color what color paint to buy. Yeah. Yellow is pretty good. Yeah, ex yeah, yellow is fabulous. The one of the reasons I wanted Kimberly to to talk about this is in that same article there that the therapist who who said it there it's not in the brain. This can all be cured with therapy. And now is that John Money that you're referring to, or somebody uh, yeah, else? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember if that's who if who if that's who they were quoting in that article. Or okay, not. and just to give you a little bit more of the history, um, John Money was a very famous sex uh, scientist back in the fifties. Um, I believe he died just recently, but for the longest time, he was basically the go-to guy on any question of um, of gender and sex and what what makes gender. And his his uh, belief at that time was that um, kind of what you're alluding to a little bit that gender is. Um, you know, a lot of things and a lot of it is the mental state. And so if the anatomy, this was his, his thesis, was if the anatomy matches the gender assignment that the parents give the child and reinforce through all of the billions of things in which our gender is reinforced with us on a moment-by-moment -moment basis by society. Culturally. <laughs> yep, exactly. Um, then that child will be very happy with whatever gender that is. Uh, his theory was that gender is very plastic until a certain age until a certain point where you've had enough conditioning that it takes. Um, until then, it's very, the term he used was plastic. So the case that a lot of people have heard about was the John Joan case. And that one actually was not even an intersex child. It was a uh, totally normal, if you will, um, standard uh, male child, uh, actually a twin. And during a botched circumcision, which could be a whole nother show, um, the penis of this kid was was so mutilated um, <laughs> that they basically made the decision to uh, remove it. And, you know, since it happened at such an early age, uh, raised this child as a girl. And um, and John Money basically used this kid as his look-see-it-works. 
And that was terrific. That really inspired and talked and, and taught an entire generation or two or three of doctors of what to do when, when you have to reassign gender at such an early age. The problem is that money lied. Uh, outright about all of his findings. Um, he kept claiming that this kid had no idea that anything had ever been done to her, that she was happy and well-adjusted. Uh, she was, in fact, completely suicidal and um, and upset and knew something was wrong and knew everybody was lying to her and couldn't get the answer. Uh, made, the, made the news, I think in the 70s or 80s, um, all of this stuff finally came out and money was shown to be a complete fraud. Uh, as you might guess with the vaccination crowd, this did not deter him from being a famous and go-to scientist who continued to uh, influence all these things, even though he was proven completely wrong by Milton Diamond. <laughs> and uh, the, the child you're talking about, the John Joan case, mm -hmm. uh, David Reimer. Exactly. Killed, well, his family says he committed suicide. That's, that's not 100% conclusive in the article, but his family's probably correct. Uh, died at the age of 38 heard. and was miserable. Yeah, even even after he came out, he had a really hard time adjusting to the whole thing. And I, I had never heard that there was any controversy. I thought it was a very apparent suicide. And what I had read, I didn't know that there was any other discussion well, about it. The article is not 100% clear on that. The article says his family says he committed suicide. This okay. is in the I've New York Times. So. Okay. so the reason we're talking about um, transgendered stuff is... Um, there might I, I posit that there might be some parallels to transableism and how you treat people who want to surgically alter their bodies to be because of body integrity identity disorder. So that's why we're yeah. Why we've, well, the the yeah. gentleman that I think I'm referring to his name was Zucker, uh, Zucker, okay. um, and and he you know he basically I, I and I hope I'm not misquoting I'm I'm looking here. Um, but he's the one that's basically saying that it has to do with uh, something traumatic in the childhood that, that, that is doing this, and it has nothing to do with brain chemistry. And so, so he's saying it's a it's a nurture only, no nature. Exactly, thing? that's what he's saying. And, and yeah. I think we've conclusively proven on this show a hundred billion times by now uh, that anytime anyone wants to cut this down to nature versus nurture, it's, it turns out surprise to be both. It's both. Yeah, it's not both, though. I mean, no. I think that no? I think that we've shown that it's primarily nature. Nurture has some to do with it, but when you read Stephen Pinker's book Blank Slate, by the time you're done with that, he he beats he he beats up nurture so much, um, and and with these studies showing that it's primarily nature, and that if if multiple people are raised in in um you know in in similar circumstances that they're going to grow up how they're going to grow up. And, well, and, similar circumstances is nature, though, right? Right, exactly. And That's he, the unless, part. unless there's extreme, unless it's extremely different, it's it's primarily going to be it's primarily nature. But These there's a nurture are, component to any piece. Absolutely, of, of absolutely. This. But but he but but Stephen Pinker really really um, in his book Blank Slate, it was really insistent that it, it's not as much of a factor as even we like to think it is. That is primarily nature. All right. And guys, I'm going to go ahead and drop off. All I've right. got a stuff I've got to do yet tonight. Um, that's another one in the can. Yep. Thanks, Doc. Well, but let's bye let's bye. The, we, let's do I, the reason that I brought Kimberly on was to talk about rats. Oh, can we move can on? I just, can I just real quick just oh, yeah. kind of give the end of my spiel on, yes. on the whole intersex thing? I'm sorry. So, yes. um, as a person in the movement, and they now call it DSD, disorders of sexual dis development, which I despise. Um, I don't believe it's a disorder. I don't think. I think disorder suggests that 
there's a cure for it because every other disorder, you know, you're working towards a cure. And I, my feeling is there does not need to be a cure for intersex children or adults. I think um, it goes back to everybody being able to make their own decisions. I think the one doctor you were talking about a little bit that was saying take a wait and see approach. And, you know, again, I, I really want to reiterate, it really should be that. The patient is the child and the child will not be able to speak for themselves until a later age. Um, and dealing with ambiguity is not the worst thing in the universe. We tend, and especially in the medical profession, not to like ambiguity. Um, and I think even our society um, really doesn't like ambiguity in those kind of, uh, in, in any, well, in a lot of circumstances, but certainly when it comes to gender. Um, again, another whole episode you could do it on is that I think most homophobia is not actually any kind of a fear of someone's sexual orientation. It's that the gender roles are not specific. And I think that freaks any people out. Makes so my feeling is that, that um, because we do live in a gendered society, I do think you have to assign a gender to a child, even if the genitals of the child don't give you a really good clue as to what they're maybe going to choose as a, as a thinking adult. Um, however, I think you need to do your best shot, talk to other people who have similar conditions, and roll with something. That said, I don't believe it should have a surgical component to it. I think you can leave everything where it is. Um, yeah, maybe you're not sure if that's a large clitoris or a small penis or you don't know exactly, but don't touch it. Don't, don't make decisions on a surgical level for the kid that will not be reversible. Um, I can go into story after story of the horrible things that have happened to people's sexual function because of this normalizing surgery. Um, and let them make their own decision. When they're, when they're ready, when they're able, I would even call for an age of majority because I, um, I think it's too big a decision to make lightly. And I think you need some time and experience and especially support. And the last thing I'll say is my biggest thing is that um, these people need peer support. They need to find other people who have similar or same conditions that they can relate to, that they can understand themselves and uh, and get the help they need to make the decisions they want to make. As an adult, anything you want to do is fine with me. I just get really pissed off when it's done to children um, who don't have a choice. And, and the last thing, I keep saying last thing, but I, I do think that doctors and parents do act with the best of intentions, but I think rushing to a decision and, and especially making a surgical decision is catastrophically incorrect. What about um, reversible hormone therapy for transgendered kids who don't want to go through puberty yet? Yeah, I, I from what I've read about it, and this is not as much um, my wheelhouse, um, but from what I've read on it, it does sound like that is a pretty low stakes um, way of postponing that decision until they can have a little bit more time to figure out what they want to do. Um, obviously, I think studies need to be done to really understand exactly what the cause is. Again, from my, my understanding of fetal development, I know how crucial timing is. When the hormones hit the body, um, it'll work at some points. And, you know, uh, in fetal development, a month down the line, the same exact hormone 
pool or whatever um, won't have the same effect anymore. So I, I don't know what to say to that about teenagers. The, yeah, the doctors seem um, to think that it was reversible. And But you know what? The, the thing is is that at some point you may do – there may be some harm. You know, The person may yeah. be shorter than they would have been or right. or, or some things like that. But it, it doesn't sound like – it's not – it doesn't sound to me like it's the same kind of harm as as if it, when a child in utero is denied you know hormones. That they need for right. development. And, it's and, not the same and, thing. and again, if it's, if there is that reversible component, and especially because my biggest thing with it is, it is that person's decision, good or bad, with risks and consequences, whatever. We make a billion of those a day, so I think they're entitled to make those decisions on their own, even if they are under the age of majority. So I, I'm generally for them. I I, yeah. I think postponing them is a is a really good way of giving time to figure out what needs to be done or or what what the best answer is and in my opinion again this is just my personal thing i would avoid surgery it is such a final sort of decision because i do think that with again the support and and some things you can live the gender you want to live in our society without necessarily resorting to surgery now again if you're an adult and you choose it so be it well, it's just that most of these, you don't get to change your mind, at, or if you change your mind afterwards, you've got a lot of consequences. Well, here we go. How about a person who who feels like their legs um, shouldn't work and wants to be wants to have their spinal cord cut so that they can be disabled? What do I think about yeah, that? Yeah, we've all um, talked about it this evening. We've already been. We've already talked about it. So it's oh okay. We might as well spring uh, you it know, on you. I, I, it's it's a little bit like our suicide show. Yeah, I'm a firm believer in self direction. If if you've really thought about it and you've had, I, I the only thing I would ask, and I don't know if I'd even enforce it, but I would ask that you take the time to get the um, get the support, get the um, therapy to just kind of make sure that that this is really the decision you want to make, and there's not some other issue kind of moving you towards it. And at the end of the day, as an adult, if that's what you want to do. Um, I I think I think you should be able to do it. Yeah. I would, you know, again, if it was somebody I knew, I would I would go to really extreme lengths to try to talk them out of intentionally paralyzing themselves sure. or amputating anything that sounds to me awful, but it's not my body, so I I can only go so far with that. Well, it's funny cuz I also went back to the suicide show and made the same point. <laughs> So okay. <laughs> yeah, so I made the I made the same connection that it sounded it's, it's the same kind of personal responsibility. Yeah, you know? adults get to do what they I, or should anyway yeah. get to do with their bodies what they want. Um yeah, I I've, I've actually been thinking about that old show um lately. I don't know why, but just it, it just so comes back to that. And and I kind of want to listen to it again to see where my thoughts were at the time because I think now I'm even more on the side of Adult to make their own decision. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be interesting. Maybe we should revisit that. All right. So, Terry, it was your topic. Have we covered it? Anything I think else? we've covered it really okay. well. It was. Thanks for the discussion. I'm. Yeah. I. I think. Yeah. I agree with everyone. Like the wait and see approach when it's younger people doing everything you can to talk someone out of it, but ultimately it's their decision. Yep. I still have negative associations though, and I'm gonna have to work through my own bigotry a little well, bit. Well, I I, yeah. I. I I, I do too. You know, I, I can I can say one thing but feel another. You know, because I because yeah. So. Can we talk about killing rats now? Sure. All right, Kimberly, tell me about rats and near death experience. So um, this was just an article I saw that I thought was um, pretty interesting. They are um, 
and I apologize, it's been a while since I've read through this. That's but okay. my, if I remember it correctly, basically it's it's just showing that those near-death experiences, the, the things that the mind does while it is in the process of dying uh, or, or getting extraordinarily close to that point, can be... Uh, can be seen uh, through these through different scans and stuff like that, and and kind of again makes sense of the near death experience. Uh, you to, know, it's another yeah. topic that to I be, know we've gone over a number of times. To be fair, uh, all it really showed us is that a point when we thought the brain should have no activity, we saw a spike in activity. So, it, so everybody, and this is one of the things when I, I think about that um, that podcast, the skeptical podcast. You know, and I stopped listening to that because he's kind of a one trick pony. But I would be curious to see how he's going to um, uh, write off this this study. Um, mm-hmm. because he's going to have to, to, to continue to go down the road that he's going. But, Is he a near-death experiencist? Oh, yeah, he, he's, 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 he totally thinks that, you know, that, you know, there's something there and, and that, you know, that all these people that, that are writing it off are, his show is, it got to the point where that's all it was about was near-death experience and, and it, it was the same article. thing. What's that? It sounds a lot like the same stuff from sleep paralysis. It could be, um, but yeah, but all this all this article really tells us at this point is that there is brain activity where we thought that there should be none. And um, and Steve Novella <laughs> talked about this, and he thought that um, he he said that it might be a way of, for the brain trying to reboot itself, trying to trying to bring itself back, but they just don't know. I think that's yeah. what he said. I don't want to misquote him, but but that but the idea that because we were having that kind of activity at a pl- at a point where they where they thought that there should be none was was maybe the the, the body you know, the brain trying to re- kind of bring itself back you know bring itself out of it. But they, they just don't know. But we do know that there is activity where we previously thought there should be none, and that's really all this is telling us. Right. Um, if I can go on. Um, they they are associating it back to near death experience because these people are having memories at a point at a point where we can't quite identify when they when they developed all these memories and it is likely that it that it could have happened during this moment of heavy brain activity um, because they seem to have a lot of information all at once. Um, so what that actually means we don't know, but it does make it sound more likely that these near death experiences are. Are, are are like we've always said, just happening in the brain. Have you guys covered dualism? Um, it seems like we have covered dualism at some point. Because you have to. I know. In order to, do, it starts out. Yeah, yeah. In order to believe in your death experience, you have to believe that you have a soul. Right. So yeah, anyway, I, so, I think dualism is a fascinating discussion. That uh, I think a lot of even atheists and secular people don't give haven't gone through the entirety of of all the implications of it and and really structured their lives around it i think a lot of us just kind of feel like yeah yeah of course i don't have a soul okay but really think that you know the 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 idea of a mind body difference has stunning implications all over the place and sure uh, if if, if we're as as does just being a physical thing right yeah uh so I, i hope i didn't step on you too much there kimberly no, no, no problem. I really, um, I, I just kind of caught the keywords, and it's been a while since I, uh, I looked at I, it. I've read several articles on it. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, tell me about my Nazi pope. 
uh, I, I actually really just enjoy my, my headline. You'll see it in the notes. Oh, former Nazi Pope, won't you ever stop giving us reasons to hate and make fun of you? <laughs> so it turns out that um, everybody's favorite Nazi Pope, uh, Ratzinger, has now claimed that uh, his resignation, uh, was that February or so? It's been a while, hasn't it? Yeah, it um, has. At first he said that, that his resignation was based solely on the fact that he was old and didn't feel that he was physically up to being able to do all of the terribly important popey things that he needed to do. Um, and so he was stepping down. However, now that it's been a couple of months and nobody's even looked twice at him, uh, it turns out that he had a mystical experience now which, in which God told him uh, very specifically to step down. Um, and that's really pretty much the entirety of it. Um, I think the poor old boy <laughs> is lonely and um, thought well, he's, everybody he's... would still, I don't know, maybe maybe he thought he would be like a, a lobbyist or something. I don't know what his, his plan was, but I think he wanted more attention. It could be. But you know what the problem is? is I, I miss him. <laughs> He's easy to hate. He was easy yeah. to hate. Yeah, I miss him. <laughs> this new pope, this new pope is so wishy-washy that you know it's like, uh, who am I to judge? You're the pope. That's who you are to judge. Do some judging. Yeah. He has these moments of compassion. Ugh, he's it's awful. Terrible. He's awful. Yeah. And it's just stunning. <laughs> yeah, I don't want complexity in this kind of stuff. I want it to be a very. You know, this is the good guy, this is the bad guy, and this guy apparently having some decent qualities, it's screwing up my whole <laughs> Catholic hate. Well, but he, but on the other hand, he still really doesn't have any decent qualities. It's just that he's, he just won't make a stand on anything, you know? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. But bring back the Nazi Pope. Exactly, I mean, right? Come on, I want a fire and brimstones type of Pope. I don't want this guy. This guy's too liberal for me. <laughs> it's like it's like when Bachman and uh, when everybody dropped out of the, all the crazy ass people dropped out of the the political race. You're like, oh, I just I hate to see him go. Who's going to say crazy fucked up shit that you know is instantly a laugh? Yeah. you know, oh, it's the yeah. only part of the 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 W presidency I miss. Is, <laughs> boy, those are some easy laughing times. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, so. All right. Well, sorry I didn't get to be here for the whole thing. It sounds like you guys had a really fascinating. Yeah, experience. no, I think you would have enjoyed this one, and, and just just what you added to it there at the end. I think really, I, I was I was really disappointed because I really wanted you to talk about that sex component and how it's not so straightforward, you know. And these people in in this other article trying to make it so cut and dry, you know, you're male or you're female. And it's like, well, it's not quite that simple, and none of it's very simple. And in fact, that whole everything we talked about, it's, it's so difficult. To, to talk about and to wrap your head around and to accept because it's so foreign to me. Uh-huh. So, all right. Well, anything else? Mm-hmm. All right. That's all I got. Say goodnight, everybody. Night. Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. For more information about the Amateur Skeptics, go to AmateurSkeptics.com. To send us feedback, suggestions, or big flaming insults, feel free to contact us at WTF at AmateurSkeptics.com. Other contact information can be found on our website. 
You can leave a voicemail for the Amateur Skeptics Podcast at 720-295-7785. Music for this podcast was provided by OFM. To find out more about OFM, go to mindspace.com forward slash OFMHQ. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons No Derivatives 3.5 license. Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. Amateur Skeptics website, Facebook, and podcast album art is provided by and copyright Shadow Knight Digital Portraiture. Larger prints or custom pieces are available upon request. 